This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Shopping.io. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. All right, all right, all right. What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and you are listening and watching Untold Stories, where twice a week, together, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders, CEOs and executives of some of the, the most important companies, developers of some of the largest decentralized applications, blockchains, and protocols to understand how this community came to be, where we are right now in the larger scheme of things, and where the hell we're going from here. I feel like every single day is a new, crazy, amazing day in our industry. There's so much to talk about. Michael O'Rourke, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Charlie. It's a pleasure to be here. So you are the the founder and CEO. Do, do we use CEO in decentralized networks? But the... Yeah, you know, there's a company that I'm a CEO of, but but yeah. really, it's uh, it's 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 a bit limited at this point, to be honest. Of the <laughs> of the po- of the pocket network, and it's really great because uh, last week for the listeners, we had a block demon, and we understand uh, where they fit into the larger ecosystem of the commu- of 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 the infrastructure, you know, that underbelly of APIs and payment rails and back and forth. So now we get to talk to the pocket network, which is exactly that, but fully decentralized and a lot bigger. The pocket network is a decentralized infrastructure for developers who want to build peer-to-peer applications. So the idea, from what I understand, you can connect any app to any blockchain through infrastructure that's actually decentralized now. So you're not making all these connections through a centralized, like, physical location. And we're doing the research, right, last week, and you get thousands of nodes uh, over a billion relays served, and, and you work with 12 networks right now. And the best part about it, before I let you say anything, is that you're an iOS dev and a Solidity dev, so you really know your way around. And you're the founder of the Tampa Bay Blockchain Developer Meetup. You're Tampa-based. I'm Tampa-based. With How awesome is Florida? Yeah, rough in Florida, man. Yeah. Tell people it's, it's, it's a blockchain capital of the world you haven't heard of yet. It really is because we don't need to talk about it. We just love life so much. Every time I talk about how amazing it is living here and someone wants to move, my wife gets mad at me. She's like, stop telling people to come down here. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a secret that's becoming a secret no longer, it seems like at this point. But it really is amazing to live here, having lived here most of my life. So Yeah, man, it really is. I love it. I love it. What do you do for fun? <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I'm a big fan of sports. Uh, big uh, Tampa Bay sports fan. So, so go Bolts. Go Bucks, uh, go, go Rays. I'm, awesome. uh, I'm an Orlando Magic fan. Um, I'm a big music uh, uh, fan, so I go to a bunch of shows and concerts over in, in Ebor and in other places. Nice. Uh, Do you like country? I just saw Garth Brooks last week. You know, I'm not that big of a country fan. Uh, yeah. More on the uh, on the kind of like chill, melodic music, a lot of jazz. Yeah. I don't know if you know who like Pat Metheny is, but he's by far my favorite musician of I'm all gonna... time research him after and, and take a listen incredible music incredible music and just really prolific and put out music like the same incredibly prolific i used to hate country growing up and i used to be like you know like play abc anything but country and like i was but i never had like listened to any of it i think just grew up as one of these things that like you know we're born with these statements of fact people like tell us our parents our family and it's like we hate them we hate people because people tell us to right so i grew up and here i am like 20 years old Oh, I hate country. And I realized that I've never actually like listened to a full country album. How ignorant of me. And now I love country. 
you know, your tastes change. Uh, it's totally, you know, you know, country. I can, I can enjoy it at the time in the moment. It's not something that I necessarily yeah. um, seek out at least right now. Uh, it's an interesting point you make there though. Cause I was just telling a friend, it's like, you know, how much we try not to be like our parents when we're growing up and how some, so somehow subtly we end up slowly being like them in some form or fashion over time as we get older. But uh, it's true. It's, it's interesting. So I think I've, I've, come to some sort of a similar epiphany over the weekend. I had a bunch of flights and I was thinking uh, deep in thought. And I realized that our parents raise us a certain way and they raise us. And while they're raising us, a lot of times they're dealing with some of their most immense pressures and stresses in life and pain, suffering, happiness, just immense emotion. And they're putting that all into us. And then now, you know, I'm just getting into my 30s now, 32 I'm start, I've been going through, and these would be the times that I, I would have kids if, if that was something that I wanted to, but um, you know, these would be the times that I would be putting those same emotion. And I kind of like, over the years, you start to have like a, not like you forgive them for some of these things, for, for what we grew up with our families, but more of like an understanding that what they were going through went into us. And then now that we're going through those same things, we have to consciously not put that into our kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good way to put it. Um, it's like, for me, it's, it's trying to find the, uh, you know, appreciating the, the best, uh, of, of what they put into us. Right. And, yeah. and, and trying to, to, to be the best version of yourself. Uh, There's like, a uh, with you ever watch Pirates Out of the Caribbean? Of course. There was like, I forget which one it was. It's like, you know, you learn life lessons from these old Disney movies or whatever. It wasn't Disney. It may have been radar. I don't know. Um, but there was a scene there and he was like, he had this whole ship of like misfits and thieves and everything. And someone like it was a prim and proper guy. Came up, he's like, how do you, you know, how do you captain a ship with all of these, you know, misfits and thieves and everything? And, and he said, well, I just take the, that guy, you know, he may be, you know, gets into bar fights every night, but he can climb to the, to the top of the mast and, and look and see an enemy ship from miles away. It's like you look for the one specific thing in each person. That's the positive, And you use that to make a better whole. Yeah, yeah. Pirates that's, of the um, Caribbean. <laughs> that's that's how amazing things are built. That's a great anecdote for 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 really describing how uh, how, how amazing things get built in this world over over throughout human history, in my opinion. Yeah, right. What what yeah. did you do uh, in in Bitcoin and crypto before the Pocket Network? How did you kind of get your start? Yeah, um, you know, to go back a little bit, you know, I, I got into Bitcoin in 2013. That's when I bought my first Bitcoin. Wow, early. I was pretty, pa I was a pretty passive, just you know, supporter and holder, but, but the reason I, I really got into it, um, I was born in the Caribbean in, in Dominican Republic and I, uh, I've used Western union, uh, many times as a result of, of, of sending money to my family, cousins, et cetera. There's a couple of things that kind of really kind of primed me for Bitcoin when I discovered it in 2013. Um, I was also, you know, I paid a lot of attention. I was 18 during the financial crisis, uh, paid a lot of attention to, to that you know, Occupy Wall Street and just learned a lot about our financial system at that time. And a couple of years before I found out about Bitcoin, I, I worked at a, at a credit union here in, in Tampa, two credit unions, actually. Which ones? Uh, I'm a member Tampa of Bay Federal, Tampa Bay yeah. Federal and uh, Suncoast Credit Union. Oh, I used to uh, be with Suncoast Credit Union. That's so cool. Yeah, I sold loans there. I sold oh, nice. uh, uh, credit cards, cars, uh, the whole thing. And, I like and, credit and unions. A... My friend started one many years ago, but he couldn't keep it afloat. The Internet Credit Union by archive.org. Remember archive.org, the Wayback Machine? Yeah. They started yeah. a credit union from like 2012 to two. Really? I know from 2012 to 2014, 
it existed. I know exactly because I remember like being like I was one of the, the members that when they closed, I had to like get my funds dispersed. But I was one of the first accounts to open. It was only like 200 total accounts ever. But and it was a New Jersey based local credit union. But it was an experiment. But the I guess the credit union laws don't allow you to create like an Internet credit union. So it's hard to oh. do. I had no idea. That's super interesting. I still use the Internet Archive pretty, pretty regularly. Yeah, same. Yeah, Rooster Kale is one of the us. saviors of the Internet. Yeah, he really is. Uh, yeah, there's a video game I've been trying to find, and I haven't been able to find it. And, and it's just, yeah, one of those things. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, worked at a couple of credit unions, saw thousands of credit reports, and kind of got, I don't think radicalized is the right word, but was open to, to kind of different things by that time. And I remember reading a Wired article about the Silk Road in, in 2013, led me down um, uh, the subreddit, Bitcoin subreddit, uh, and, and really from there, you know, read the white paper and just became absolutely obsessed. Uh, you know, at the time, like I said, I was, I think at the time I was working at a golf course and, and at the USF golf course in Tampa. And uh, every paycheck, I just started putting in 100 bucks, 200 bucks, buying Bitcoin. Um, and just started kind of accumulating and, you know, started, um, started doing some talks, uh, you know, in the Dominican Republic, I one of the universities there, did one here locally in Tampa, you know, particularly when, um, Ethereum came out and, uh, well, not Ethereum came out, but a couple of years later when sure. you know, we started working with Ethereum and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I bought into the vision back in 2013. I remember writing a blog post, uh, my medium, I'm sure it's still there. Like <laughs> part one of how Bitcoin's going to change the world. <laughs> Back and I think it's, you know it's posted probably in like early 2014 or late 2013 or something like that. But it's just um, yeah, that was my my first uh, my first entrance. I wasn't a developer at the time. Um, so oh really? really? You know? No, no. I, I studied um, international studies in college. I, I wanted to be a diplomat uh, before I before I graduated. Uh, well, you became one in a way. And you became a better, yeah. better diplomat. <laughs> one, can say I'm a pro- one can say I'm a protocol politician. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, becoming uh, yeah, a protocol I'm, politician is the name of this show now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I'm bilingual. So I was like, you know, what, let me go chill in the cons, you know, in a consulate somewhere in South America, realized, uh, didn't want to work, uh, work for the government, uh, just deal with the bureaucracy and, uh, you know, really got, uh, I learned to code about six months before I graduated from college. Um, I had it taken me a, to take me a while to, to graduate. I'd failed out. Um, uh, Smoked too much weed, played too much World of Warcraft, and um, we had you know, the same college career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, Burning Crusade was my jam. Um, uh, and eventually, you know, got things figured out before I graduated. Learned to code. Was an iOS engineer, developer for about three years, and uh, you know, uh, uh, that's really when I discovered Ethereum. Uh, a couple of years after that, and, and writing smart contracts and, and that kind of thing. I actually remember going to the uh, Bitcoin conference in Miami in 2014 and me watching, yeah. I remember watching Vitalik announce Ethereum and being like, this is vaporware. <laughs> I don't think this is going anywhere. <laughs> and then that, two years later, you know, writing smart contracts, just pull out on, you know, I believe what, what, what he built, but, or, you know, what, what the Ethereum community has built, but that's kind of been my, my journey, um, you know, going from basically a history degree to kind of getting yeah. more and more technical, you know, dealing with infrastructure now and so on and so forth. But, uh, it's been, it's been, you know, an incredible journey so far for me. It's good that we're both like from 2014 to now, here we are living in the Tampa area, happy where like, where you were sitting there in that room thinking Ethereum is vaporware and where your world went from then to now, 
at that same moment, you know, right after Vitalik announced that, Mo Levine, the the creator of the conference, was getting on stage saying, yeah, Charlie's supposed to be here, but no one knows where he is. He's not answering his phone. And I was sitting in a jail cell. And so it's just insane, the parallels, like, years later, and here we are, a podcast talking about Bitcoin and crypto. So it's like this, being a protocol politician, like, this, these protocols outlive us. It's an yeah. insane thing to think about. I've never thought about software in that respect, where the software will outlive the humans that write it. That's the goal, right? Uh, to build something uh, with, uh, I think we're all in our own way trying to yeah. um, rebuild the, the foundation of society in one way or another. I think in a better way, in, in a way that's you know, taking the learnings and the best. Uh, from from the previous, uh, from the, you know, the shoulders of the giants that we are sitting on today, right? Uh, and hopefully with uh, 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 with something more sustainable and and uh, just generally better for for, for everyone, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, a lot a lot of people still think that it's it's um, hard to learn how to code, especially on a level where you can get paid for it, build your own applications, build your own software. You know, be the CEO of a decentralized, you know, like be involved in a whole decentralized network here. Right now, um, someone's you know, huge techie, they're always, you know, they know their way around a, a computer and software problem solving, but they know nothing about any coding. What would be the, the first step, in your opinion? First yeah, language. Uh, language? Um, I, outside of language, I, I would actually pick something that, that gets you passionate. Uh, uh, that's probably the most important thing. Um, what do you mean? Because I, I tried to code five, six times before I, I, I actually stuck with it. Right, like I tried JavaScript, I had tried Go, I had tried C++, I tried Objective-C, I tried Java, I tried a ton of different coding languages and none of them ended up sticking. Um, and it wasn't until Apple released the programming language Swift that it finally stuck for me. And that was back in, in 2014, uh, 2015 timeframe. And the thing about Swift and the thing about mobile development, at least for me, I, you know, I've always had, you know, I'm not sure mind. I've always wanted to come up with things and, and you, know, you know, just never really, you know, very little stuck until, until really pocket, to be honest. But, but at the same time, for me to be able to build something, even if it was a very simple UI and be able to show my friends like, hey, dude, look what I built. And just kind of that feedback loop for me is what kept me going. Um, so I think everyone has uh, a different feedback loop for what sticks for them, a different vision of what they want to build. But really to really dig in and, and to really learn something, you have to want to go past kind of the surface level. And for the first time, Swift, uh, you know, it, it's actually, I compare it like, kind of like what Ethereum did for, for, for kind of blockchain development, I want to say, or software development. I think Swift did the same for, for mobile development in many ways, where they took something that was immensely complicated. At the very beginning, they make it uh, 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 so simple where it's drag and drop. So it's like, a, it's like a good board game. It's like easy to learn, but complex to master, right? Oh, I love that, and like chess or whatever. Or go. Yeah, yeah, it's like easy to learn the rules, but then, you know, mastering something like that, you know, you, you start getting deeper and you're like, holy shit, I really don't know anything about this, but you kind of want to learn more and figure it out and, and, and kind of thing. And, and having those feedback loops and, and really like a yes. more persistence than anything, man. Some authors, it really is. it's like how authors write a book. Some, some authors would want to write a book like Swift where they're writing a chapter and then they're getting feedback and they're continuing to go. Or some authors don't want anyone to look at it until they're like ed edited, done, you know, proofread a million times. That's like someone writing in a language that's more complex where they don't want anyone to look at it, compiling on their own, things like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, and for me, that was the process for me. 
uh, I managed to find something that I was able to stick with. Uh, the first time I made I love an that. HTTP request, my mind was just absolutely blown. I was like, wow, this is how the internet works. <laughs> it's just, it was a, it, you know, I have, I, you know, you know my, my, I'm getting tingles right now on my skin right now. It's, it's just one of these things where it's just like, when you see how it works and, you know, you go through the whole kind of end to end process and you're like, wow, it's just one of these mind blowing things. And honestly, it's similar to you know, learning about Bitcoin and, and crypto generally is it's, it's a similar feeling to be honest. So you started to learn how, like, how it all works. You're making your first HTTP requests. You're understanding how the internet works, you know, on a, like a layer one underbelly infrastructure level. You're finally understanding you're interacting with this all the time. And then you're getting into Bitcoin too and crypto. What did you see was missing that really forged you to say, I need to make this my full-time and launch pocket? Yeah. Yeah. We were, um, this was late 2016. So my co-founders and I, we actually were working on, on main street in Sarasota, believe it or not. Oh yeah. Uh, lived, lived down there for, for about a year and a half. Um, we started writing some smart contracts, uh, for Ethereum and, uh, you know, once it's, you know, very similar to making my first HTTP request, deploying a smart contract to Ethereum, it's a similarly kind of mind blowing thing. Um, and we used an infrastructure service, uh, that exists today. It's called Infura. And as a uh, uh, kind of 2017 rolled along, we really saw the importance of Infura for the Ethereum ecosystem and the reliance that Ethereum had on it. Um, and it was always, in our view, and this is kind of a shift from my mindset from 2014, where I thought Bitcoin was going to be everything. Uh, sure. to, you know, our, one of our views was, uh, and still is today, that we think we're going to live in a world with thousands of blockchains and, and all of them need this kind of infrastructure service. Uh, so we started thinking about what a decentralized protocol could look like that can, um, you know, put, to putting it simply, you know, provide full nodes for any blockchain, right? And that's really what Pocket does is, is it just provides uh, full node access in a decentralized way, in a trustless way, and with really strong guarantees on your data and so on and so forth, uh, uh, full node access for any blockchain. Um, and it took, you know, three years of, of iteration and, and thinking and design um, until we launched it almost a year ago to, to this day. But, uh, you know, for context, we tried everything we could to not build our own blockchain. Uh, sure. In fact, if you go to our, our go to GitHub, you'll see the first smart contracts that I deployed <laughs> back in 2017 um, for Pocket. But uh, that was really the kind of genesis of the idea was, was using, you know, this infrastructure provider, really seeing how important it is, um, separate from the kind of decentralized, you know, network itself. itself. Um, and, and how that just seemed like, one, a vector uh, uh, of risk, and two, Something yeah. that we saw an opportunity to actually not just be decentralized for decentralized sake, but actually have a, a measurable uh, improvement uh, uh, in cost, for example. Uh, and speed. Uh, then, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and that's where, wow. that's where um, you know, that's where it started, man. Hey, guys, I'm Charlie Shrem here in Las Vegas to teach some NFL players about Bitcoin. But I wanted to congratulate our sponsor, Kava because Circle chose the Kava platform as one of their newest blockchains and protocols they're gonna be launching USDC on. Traditionally, USDC has only been on Ethereum and one or two other chains like Tron, but now there's a bunch of other blockchains. The Kava platform is one of them, and you can access all of those super cool DeFi high yield opportunities that are on the Kava platform now with USDC, which we know and love. So check them out at untoldstories.link forward slash Kava. And congratulations, guys. Having Circle choose y'all as the top blockchain for USDC to be launched on is a big freaking deal. I'm going to go teach some football players about Bitcoin. Here's Courtney. 
I'm out. The most important part of our Bitcoin and crypto industry is being able to not only earn money in crypto, but also be able to spend it, earn rewards in crypto and keep that uh, revolution going, keep the cycle going of all of us together. Well, my partners at shopping.io are offering just that multi-tiered discounts up to 10% where you can spend your crypto anywhere that you're already buying everything already, Amazon, Walmart, eBay, but use your crypto to spend it earn back cash back, earn back rewards. And not only that, but if you go to untoldstories.link forward slash shopping.io, you get an additional on top of every other discount, an additional 2%. So you can go there now and shop and get 12% off of everything you're already buying. Anyways, uh, fantastic, fantastic company. Thank you guys so much. Uh, make sure you check them out at untoldstories.link forward slash shopping.io. So you have you have dozens of different blockchains and protocols that exist here. But in order for us to get mass adoption and to actually interact with all of these protocols and blockchains, we need that like software infrastructure because most apps and most companies don't want to be running their own nodes. They don't want to be. And I'm going to ask you like what type of interactions and why I would need to be interacting with a node and why the nodes are important in a second. But so yeah. that's. So, so traditionally, you'd have all these centralized companies that say, hey, pay us and we'll help you interact with these blockchains in real time if you're a large crypto bank or whatever. But the natural evolution of things should be to have those same companies in a decentralized way. But, the, but in, under that ethos, you wanted to have your own blockchain. But on the simple ethos of you have to write the software optimized for you, you have to write your own blockchains optimized for what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah, and and you, you hit the you hit the, the 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 hammer right there on the nail with with you know running your own infrastructure. Um, I always think back to a, a podcast I listened to that where uh, Brian Armstrong from Coinbase talks about the very very beginning of Coinbase and how the main switch that they made was instead of having a user run their own node, they ran their own Bitcoin yeah. nodes for their initial wallet, and that's kind of what helped them initially take off. So we have these truly decentralized permissionless networks, but we have kind of a traditional web two model operating on top of them, right? Whether it's storage or access or, um, you know, DNS or, 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 you know, privacy, whatever it is, um, we, you know, we have you know, at the very, very base layer, we, we have truly, you know, permissionless decentralized networks, but what's happening is that we're kind of seeing the stack kind of get, um, you know, we, we have traditional models over uh, the other parts of the stack. And what happens is, you know, these are open source networks, uh, these aren't, you know, proprietary databases like uh, a Facebook or an Instagram or, or whatever it is. And as a result, we all tend to gravitate towards a couple providers that run all the notes for us. And 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 that I think, um, you know, outside yeah, of, we use what works. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and of course that's what we know. Um, and and really the the thing behind Pocket is is putting this new paradigm, you know, using real true crypto native um, uh, economics and 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 and. A, truly new paradigm for, for people to access infrastructure. Which, really about. which, how many blockchains are we talking about or protocols? Today we support 12 that are paid. Oh. Um, there's another uh, three to six that we support that aren't yet paid within the protocol. Um, uh, but uh, we're effectively pretty rapidly adding uh, new chains uh, uh, where, uh, where we can. So uh, to be fair, we're, we're coordinating a, a network of, thousands of nodes so so that can be uh difficult sometimes but yeah, of course um nonetheless uh we're we're we're, we're really moving in, in that direction where it's kind of 
one interface to access any chain in, in a truly decentralized fashion. What type of interactions, going back to the other question, like what type of things are, are people doing? Yeah, 99% of them are reads. So people refreshing their wallet balances, uh, looking for prices, um, interacting with smart contracts, uh, this sort of thing. Uh, 1% uh, are, are transactions or writes, right? So, so sending Bitcoin, interacting oh, with interesting. a smart contract. Uh, it's really mostly reads. Uh, and that's kind of the challenge at scale is because these nodes, you know, uh, when you have you know, someone using Uniswap, for example, or some popular wallet, um, it's really not about the throughput of the Bitcoin network with, with rights. It's about the, the scalability of the full nodes that are providing the data for people to be able to, to, for people to even be able to see their balances. That's kind of where the bottleneck is today uh, that, that we, we, we are you know, effectively breaking at this point. Are all, all these dozen blockchains so far, are they all alike in how you have to interact with them and how you have to write the software to interact with them? Or are, there, are there any of them like quirky and do things in a weird way that you're just like, oh, what a hassle. Um, they you don't have, have to call quirks. them out specifically if you don't want to. You can. <laughs> well, um, they all have their quirks. So, so um, some store data in a different way. Um, uh, thankfully, they all have their kind of SDKs that make it a little bit easier. Um, it's more with like the syncing of these chains and and the way that they. That's really the biggest challenge that we've seen is is depending on how these networks are designed, they're hard to stay in sync with the rest of the network. I'll give you an example, like BSC. Um, is is a really popular one today, and, and sure. it's just incredibly difficult to keep in sync. Why? Um, uh, due to the state, uh, the amount of transactions going to the network, and the amount of state that's being generated, the amount of data that's being generated, is massive. Um, and uh, what happens is the network ends up siloing itself, makes it uh, you know the the Bitcoin network is is really resilient because you can always find peer um, uh, in this respect, and uh, it's not so easy with a network like BSC. Uh, as a result, uh, probably because there aren't as many people running yeah, nodes. It takes, takes time to build out the node network there. Yeah, it really does. It really does. How um, many nodes are enough, do you think, for a blockchain like to be distributed? How many nodes do you think would be? So I, it, there's two vectors there, right? It's how many nodes and, and how many individuals, right? Um, I think is, is those are two, two sure. really different metrics. Um, there's no real hard evidence, right? You know, it depends how high you want to go, right? Like what's enough to, um, you know, yeah. Avoid a state level attack, right? Um, you know, I would say off the top of my head, 10,000, 20,000 nodes yeah. with maybe a 10 to 1 difference in individuals, for example. Um, so if you have 10,000 nodes, 1,000 individuals running those nodes, but really there's no you know, data behind that. That's just my own, you know, anecdotal yeah. uh, kind Which of Which networks you know, have that? Bitcoin uh, and and I'd venture to guess that Bitcoin is is much better ratio than, than 10 to 1. Um, Ethereum as well. Yep. Um, you know. Has Ethereum gotten better at syncing? Because that still still was an issue over the years. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, lately we haven't had any issues. It's more the state size of Ethereum is growing massively. Uh, there's been a recent massive improvement. Uh, there's, a, there's a node that dropped um, that was recently, I think it was like 7 terabytes of data. Uh, down to 1.2 terabytes of data How? for a full archival. Uh, you know what? They did some magic there. I, you know, it's called Aragon. Uh, e R A G O N. It's 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 incredible. It's it's really incredible what they did. But they managed to compress all that information um, within 1.2 terabytes uh, without any degradation in speed or or anything like that. Which and you can call on that still in the same without any latency or anything like that. 
yeah, nothing changes. Nothing changes. You know, it, 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 it goes to show that if your blockchain is big enough with and with enough money locked in uh, and it, if it's grow with enough people using it, all of the technical problems could could be solved. But at the same time, you can make the same case that it's harder to solve those problems because then making changes is difficult. Yeah. Yeah. As you get, you know, as more value gets locked, it does definitely get harder to make changes. Right. I think we've seen that both with Bitcoin and Ethereum, um, uh, just generally. So it's kind of a, a race before it ossifies in, in some respect, right? So, so being small. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're you right. Know, you know, being small still has its advantages, but, you know, as more money comes in, as more interested parties come in, as more, you know, stakeholders come in, you know, um, you know these things are truly decentralized networks, right? So you have different perspectives from different people that, that, that you know, give different weight to arguments and, and this kind of thing, right? I wanted to ask you, you just made me think of a great question. Um, so two weeks ago, we lost like 20% of the Bitcoin hash rate or it was some number very quickly. We did a bunch of episodes on it. We actually, actually the episode I'm releasing tomorrow is is with someone who's very close with, with the Chinese government talking about things like that, uh, what actually happened there. Tune into that. But how did the node, the Bitcoin node count, like was there a, a, a relationship between the drop in the hash rate and the drop in the node count, because it used to be that running nodes and mining Bitcoin were the same, but now they're they've separated. Yeah, no, I, I'd be willing to bet that the node count was barely affected by the wow. drop in the hash rate. Um, you know, one massive miner really only needs a couple nodes. Really, what they need is the ASICs and and and, and passing the data over through there. Um, so they're pretty disconnected, and they they serve different functions at this point, right? You know, for me, full nodes act as a as a counterbalance to the miners in any given network or the validators if you're proof of stake. Um, you know, so to to help avoid any kind of hostile taking over or partitioning or anything like that of a network, you need separate full nodes to be able to do that. But um, but no, I you know I haven't looked at the numbers since then, but I'd be willing to bet that uh, they were they were barely, barely affected. What's the what's the the how is Sorry, how is the Bitcoin node structure set up in a way that's so radically different than how like the Ethereum virtual machine and, and, uh, and like all of these other new type of blockchains set up their node structures? How is it different? Uh, well, it's simpler, <laughs> for one thing, uh, massively yeah. simpler. Um, uh, it's, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's very different. Um, you know, they use peer-to-peer -peer networks. Um, is it just uh, that the uh, functionality... You know, of Bitcoin because it hasn't changed in terms of like what's being upgraded and, and how things work, that the node structure can remain like relatively stable. Yeah, yeah, I think speed of releases um, and this kind of thing absolutely helps make things more stable. Um, you know, I would argue that Ethereum has been pretty stable for the most part. Not That's to say to that hear. there hasn't been any issues with, um, with releases in the past or anything like that, but uh, I think relatively speaking, uh, those two are the most stable networks by far in existence today. Um, uh, I would say they're not different in how they operate. Uh, what's really different is is the kind of data that they store and the functionality that they allow users to to access. It's really hard. Ah, oh, good point. Um, um, uh, but you know, there's challenges, right, with Ethereum because you know, like I mentioned before, it was one you know seven terabytes, right? That's what really affects kind of node counts um, and the speed at which that data gets passed around a peer-to-peer -peer network. Because if you have, you know, like with BSC, where you're, you know, let's say for just to give a number, you're, you're processing 
you know, one terabyte of data within an hour. You have to pass all that information around potentially thousands of nodes. And if they aren't equipped to handle all that information, that ends up, you know, being problematic, getting people out of sync and so on and so forth. Uh, I think both, uh, you know, Ethereum and Bitcoin have struck a pretty good uh, balance on that front. Uh, I think Ethereum has suffered more uh, in terms of, you know, individuals running nodes due to the cost of it and the growth of, of the state itself. But, you know, I think at its core there, they work almost exactly the same way. You know, you have a computer, get some information and wants to pass it to, you know, gossip it over to, to the rest of the network. And at its core, that's, that's really the same. You know, they work in the same way. You know, over the last seven, eight years for you uh, and me, in this industry, uh, if I look at the projects that I've invested in and have done well, it, it it's the look at like everything as a path to decentralization. You look at Bitcoin as the leader of that path. Everything is on, you know, most cryptocurrencies or blockchain protocols or networks are hopefully on that path to decentralization, even if they're not as fully decentralized or maybe they are more prone to an attack right now. You know, at the end of the day, they're all like experiments. One of the best metrics to look at when you're getting involved in a project is like, are they actually decentralized? Are they actually trying to be decentralized and distributed? You can look at node count, individual count as one metric. What other metrics can we look at? Yeah, I, think, uh, I think governance is an important metric. Um, the way I think about it is, is, is like, uh, what are those things called when you're bowling uh, that you put up? Oh, the uh, lanes, guardrails? yeah. The guardrails. Yeah, yeah. it's like... The bumpers, are bumpers. They, the bumpers, thank you, thank you. It's I like, still bowl with bu bumpers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like, are the bumpers there to, to you know, uh, for decentralized, you know, for, for encouraging decentralization from the beginning, right? Um, is, oh. is kind of how I think about it. Um, and some protocols have it, some don't. Um, uh, but the way that I think about it is, you know, what are the fundamentals? Um, what are the, the, the barriers of entry, right? Whether that's cost, uh, whether that's um, you know voting governance, right, um, that sort of thing. Uh, not just nodes as well, right? Like how uh, accessible, I, you know. If I had two vectors, it'd be how is it governed and how accessible is it, <laughs> right? Um, uh, would be would be the two major vectors, and I think that will help lead to, for example, many unique nodes in the network or many unique holders, right? So, like so one that. popular metric by Bitcoin, right, is how many new addresses, how many new holders are coming into the system, right? I think that's a really important metric as well, right? Um, but really what really what 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 leads to that in my opinion are are governance and, and accessibility, right? So so uh, you know accessibility through cost, right? You know, back in the day, you know, I've got a set of you know uh, seven I'm so happy I never looked at any of these metrics on Bitcoin until like recently because if I was worried about all these metrics in 2011, I was worried about writing we were writing in in my shitty Python, writing the software just so BitInstant can send Bitcoin to an external wallet address. That software to interact with the Bitcoin blockchain didn't exist. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that makes it more decentralized, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, quite literally, uh, it really, it really does. Uh, 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 and uh, yeah, so so you know, like I used to be, I could run some some miners, right, uh, on Ethereum, uh, and you know, earn a bit of ETH. Right for for something reasonable, right? A couple thousand dollars and, and that kind of thing. Um, so the question is, how are protocols allowing people to participate today in the future? Right? Are they controlling you know your money through through delegation? I think when I when I talk about those uh, those guardrails, right? 
things like delegation for me yeah. is, is an important kind of uh, guardrail in the sense of, you know, it could lead to more centralization, although none of this is improved out as an example. So, you know, that's, that's kind of how I, how I think about it. And, you know, I think over time, as these things get utility, as people genuinely use them, um, you know, even speculation helps with this, of course, uh, but over the long run, you know, you'll see tokens get recycled, get in more hands of people, whether sure. through emissions or through existing holders or, or however it might be. And, and that's kind of, you know, the, 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 the process, right. Um, but there is a hard number of, you know, nodes and, yeah. and who's actually validating and, and who's actually creating the state, right. Which, you know, at, at, at its core talking about the guardrails, right. Or the bumpers. Um, that's also for me, one of those things that, that will affect that over the long run as well. And it's, uh, a lot of times the transfer going from centralization to decentralization can be a little bit tricky and messy. I've been an investor in projects that launched with like the understanding that a mainnet will launch with a federation and multiple validators and distributors. But it's if anyone's been, had done this before, if you're in, you know involved in a company that does that switch, like be in the Telegram groups because it's just fucking chaos. It's great. It's like how, all right, we're going decentralized now. Well, you have to go from a network of like one validator to potential. Like I just did it with Casper and they launched 120 validators in one day. So how do you do that? That process is very, and they did it without any major hiccups. I was very impressed. But another project, a little bit of a hiccups. So it's just kind of crazy to watch and it's fun. I still, people ask me like, what I do for fun? Yeah, I fucking watch blockchain states get launched. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just, yeah, you know, it's, it's, and it's a harder thing to, be a centralized company, I think, and then opt to switch to, you know, something decentralized, because I think fundamentally you have to work in a yeah. decentralized way. And I think culturally as a company, it's hard to do if you haven't been doing that from the beginning. I think that, you know, people have done it and it's, and people have done it successfully. I think Casper actually is a, is a good example of that, but um, it's hard. It's hard in terms yeah. of when your company culture is, is used to working one way and, and moving towards um, you know, a truly open and collaborative way of, of, of doing things um, is, is, is a difficult thing to do. On that, on that note, you know, you could have stopped Pocket Network there. You could have had your company, you could have had your team build out the software, be like a decentralized version of a, of a centralized company that does the same thing. But like you were saying, you were alluding to earlier, you launched your own blockchain, you know, to allow all of the interactions between everything. It has a token and the token incentivizes, from what I understand, other developers to come into the ecosystem and continue to build out these decentralized applications. Yeah, I, I would say that the token incentivizes full nodes, um, uh, more so than developers. Um, that's the biggest challenge for us today is, is the developer side of things and really proving that out and showing what the service is capable of. Uh, we found that with very few requests going to the network, we incentivized thousands of nodes, which is pretty mind blowing. Wow. Um, uh, and, and oh we're God. really, yeah. It's, so it's what do you mean? Easy. What can someone do right now to earn the token set up full nodes? Yeah. Well, you know, to participate, um, you buy pocket and run a full node. Um, and that's it. Uh, you run a full node, like a pocket node, and then you can run a Bitcoin node an Ethereum node, uh, a ring B node, a, uh, you know, polygon node, next in node. the pocket node separate. So pocket node is a very thin layer. Yeah. Uh, you can think of it, uh, the way we describe it is like a reverse proxy. So it's a very thin middleware, basically, that just relays, you know, my balance request on the Bitcoin <sighs> network. 
to the Bitcoin node. And then the Bitcoin node that you're running responds back and sends it back to the user who requested that information. Um, so you can run one pocket node to many blockchain nodes uh, within the network. And so earn I can run my own node. decentralized infrastructure here and get paid out by the whole network for running it and allowing other people to connect and all the peers. So you're incentivizing full nodes, not just on your blockchain, but on all yes. of the blockchains that you, wow, that's brilliant. And that's all what your blockchains. software allows for is just to like verify at the same time that you're actually running them and, and allowing the connections and everything. Yes. Well, I didn't know. Data wow. that's true and correct, right? Because that's a challenge of a decentralized network, right? Is, is how can you prove that someone's not lying, right? That's why we use, we use centralized services because, you know, I trust Invira to not lie to me about the data that they're giving me or Alchemy API or, or QuickNode, right? Uh, I trust them because these are, you know, reputable centralized companies oh. and rightfully so. But if you have a network where anyone can buy Pocket and participate, well, then what happens if they lie, right? Um, so we have to put in kind of these things to, to make sure that they're, you That's know. another metric that you have to look for. How do you disincentivize, like, lying? Or how do you incentivize the honesty? That's what Satoshi yeah. did, I feel like, you know, kind of bringing yeah. it all back together. He's like, hey, greed yeah. exists. Yeah. You know, integrity is important. Let's tie the two together. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Freaking exactly. Brilliant. Michael, thank yeah. you so much for coming on Untold Stories today. This was awesome. Thank you. I'm sorry for the technical difficulties earlier. Thank you for waiting. This was a brilliant show. Yeah, no, thanks for the time. I really enjoyed speaking with you. How can my listeners get in touch with you? How can they get in touch with the company? Um, those who are developers, those who are not. Yeah, I'm, I'm most active on Twitter. Uh, it's, my, it's my last name, O'Rourke, O underscore R-O-U-R-K-E. Uh, our, 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 our pocket Twitter, just send me a DM, you know, Awesome. Uh, whenever you like in our pocket Twitter, P-O-K-T network. Uh, check out our website, P-O-K-T.network, uh, if you want to learn. I want to uh, come something. to the next Tampa developer meetup, too. Yeah. So let's set yeah, that up. Sure. Let's yeah. set that up. That would be a lot of fun. And can yeah. blockchains get in touch with you, too, and pro other Absolutely. protocols? So they can part. Wow. You incentivize decentralization. Incentivizing decentralization. Incentivizing decentralization and becoming a... Protocol Politician with Michael yeah. O'Rourke. That's literally <laughs> the title of this episode today. I love Thank it. you, my friend. I'll talk to you later. Cheers. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Bye.